Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That's me. With me, as always, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on, man? What's going on? It's Monday. Everything's going on. We just had a whole weekend of things that went on. How are you? How, what's going on with you? How are you doing? I'm I'm good, man. I'm good. I am in uh I'm in wedding recovery mode on Monday because in addition to a weekend full of game sevens that we'll get to and all the stuff that goes along with that, also headed down to Jersey, did a wedding this weekend. Nice. Wonderful friend of ours from Notre Dame got hitched out there, made it official, so I had to go nice. and uh and cut up on the dance floor out there for the weekend with my brother and his wife. Where'd you fly into? Uh, I flew into Philly and drove from there. So oh, okay, 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 yeah, okay, okay. always. Always an adventure. Nothing too wild down there, but uh, managed to survive that one. It was an interesting wedding because I had never been to one like this where, and someone tried to tell me that this was, I think, uh, like inherently a quality of an Irish wedding. Okay. Which this was, but, or it was an Irish or an East Coast wedding where you get to the reception and as soon as you walk into the reception they start playing the music. Like they had a band here. It was this big, awesome band. They had some of the best singers I had ever heard in a wedding band. But they started throwing heat, like Starships by Nicki Minaj. They're throwing Bruno Mars tracks out there at the beginning <laughs> that like get people out on the dance floor. And then they would play like two or three songs. And then they're like, all right, now we're going to sit everyone down and the bride and the groom are going to do the first dance. And then they play a couple of more bangers and like wedding dance songs. And then it was, all right, now we're going to have the toast from the father of the bride and a couple of the speeches from the maid of honor and the best man. And they kept pacing it with songs in between that for the entire night. And I was, it wasn't like a better or worse thing. It was a beautiful wedding. It was a lot of good stuff that went on. I had just never encountered something like this. Usually for me, it had been, hey, you go in, especially lately, people try and do all of the stuff, you know, the formal stuff, the cake cutting, the speeches, everything leading up to it. And then you just go dance party drinking from then on out and go through the rest of the night. This one kind of spaced it out in a way that was very, I don't know, have you been to a wedding like that before? I think I, I have been to one where... I'll say this, uh, Brynja and Mark Van Gilder, their wedding, their first dance was everyone get up and dance. Ooh. Right? Like it was like, let's get let's get the party started. And then it was like sit down and have the individual ones, which I thought that was a nice little touch. I've been some other ones because my roommate it was definitely like bumping at the beginning and then it was like, oh, we gotta kind of settle down and, and get dinner and stuff. But I didn't realize I'm I like the flow of weddings. So much so that you're like, oh, this is the part. Oh, we're in this part right now. 
We're like, it, it's not, it's not beat it down on the itinerary as much as like, oh no, this is the wave of this. Oh, we're all, this is where we're, we're all right now, right now. This we're in this thing. Like this is. We are creatures of habit. Like, okay, now we're going to do the cha-cha slide. Like, now the Cupid shuffle's on at this point in the night. Like, I saw that TikTok a while back of the guy talking about how all the different line dances sort of build as the evening goes throughout oh, all this. Yes, so definitely. we're we're creatures of habit. And yes. at this point, you and I are both into our 30s. We've done a ton of the wedding circuit because yes. we went to a Catholic school, which means a lot of our friends got married very soon after college and started mm-hmm. having kids not long after that. Yep. And so we're kind of set in our ways. So it just, it kind of got me into a different rhythm and it challenged my wedding acumen, which I think is always good. Always but good. But Brandon... The, the most humbling moment for me in all of this was the father of the bride was given his toast and part of it, you know, we talked about appreciating the moment and being there for each other and he gave the bride and groom a gift and it was a clock that said now on it, reminding them that, you know, to focus on the moment. And I looked down at my arm <laughs> that has a tattoo of a watch where the time is now. Digital I was like, clock. wait. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, I, I have a, I have a, a tattoo of what appears to be like a watch that you would have on the end of a chain that's got a digital timestamp on it that says now. And I was like, wait a minute. Had he ever seen that before? Is this just a coincidence? Am I really like? He bit. Am, he bit is, off my, your game. is my tattoo? Is my tattoo a lot less original than I gave it credit for in all of this? Like, it was a great gesture by him. People have heard me on record say that I'm not always the most proud of this one. Like, it was something that meant a lot to the tattoo artist who tattooed me. I thought it was just as much mine as it was hers. And so I loved the rest of my tattoo so much. I was like, okay, you know what? Like, I, if that means a lot to her, she's got just as much skin in the game because she designed all of this one. Hey. But there are times where I'm like, all right, having a watch that says now or when upside down Monday on my arm can kind of feel like it's a bit much for me. Again, great gesture by the father of the bride. It was a beautiful speech. All the, all the parts of the wedding were awesome. It was just more of a like real come to Jesus moment for me where I looked down at my skin and pondered some of my decision making. I mean, isn't I think that's exactly what weddings are for. Just kind of you sit down and ponder your decision makings, if that's fair to say. Uh, you were at my wedding, uh, my uh, in my wedding, my dad for his speech ended up stealing a a card that Michelle had mailed to me at some point in time in our relationship, and he unveiled that he had stole this card and had my little sister read it. For the first time, uh, for in the speech, and it was a, it was an interesting it was an interesting choice. It was one of those things where, like I didn't think much of it, but afterwards, everybody was pulling me aside like, "Can you believe your dad?" <laughs> <laughs> like you were like, "I'm not supposed to know if this is like." a sweet moment if I'm supposed to appreciate this and then right. everyone else drove home that message for you that no, you are not. Everybody, I was like, well, I mean, he does, I mean, he does go through things like, uh, like Robert De Niro and meet the Falkers. Like that's the type of father I have, but outside of all those things and we will get to it right now. I think I'm trying to use this as a way to pivot, uh, uh, if you want, if you want a clever segue, it's speaking of some suspect decision making. Ooh, I was th- I was going to say, speaking of, White dudes with sleeves that's balling. 
with sleeve tattoos. <laughs> you know what? Luca only gets credit for a half sleeve on that oh, one. Although okay. he went he go he went with the lower forearm half, which is definitely the edgier of the two. The bolder. Like the top the top down sleeve is when you want to dip a toe into the water. Right. The bottom half sleeve is when you want to dive right into the game here. Excuse and that's, me. I, I misspoke. I apologize. It's, but it's probably what we should do, Brandon, because in addition to being at a part of the fun part of the wedding is I got to do the thing where I'm in the back of a pew at one point in church looking down on my phone as we had the FA Cup finals between Chelsea and Liverpool going on this weekend that the Blues were unfortunately on the losing end of that I watched in the back of a church pew. We're checking out NHL playoffs during this. We finished off the weekend with Sunday night, this gaggle of game sevens that we had Ooh. between two leagues and uh, the night kind of carried by what went on in the NHL. I mean, you had both game sevens in the national hockey league go to overtime in order to be decided the late game between Calgary and the stars won three, two by the flames. And in the early game, you had the Rangers come back and beat the penguins four to three Panarin with the game sealer in overtime, the bread man. I mean, think about that. You had both of these games go to overtime, and you had a nickname like the bread man getting shine at this juncture in the postseason, which just seems like the perfect bit of preparation meets opportunity in this spot. Yes, and also just harkens me back to uh, one of the best scenes of Shrek, uh, the muffin man. The muffin man. Do you know the muffin man? <laughs> So you want to just dub that out for the bread man? <laughs> I do. I do. That's, what, that's what my brain thought. But I'll say this, though. You said you were disappointed in those, those game sevens in the NBA. I don't think I was. I don't think I was. I think game sevens are, it sounds dumb and cliche, but what they're supposed to be. And I enjoyed What seeing. they're supposed to be is entertaining and good. I don't think I don't think like, it, I don't like think the it's N- not, like the NHL's game sevens were. You don't think you don't think uh, Dallas Mavericks fans and Boston Celtics fans thought that game those games were entertaining? No, Brandon, I'm fully aware that they had a good time. I'm saying for the rest of us that are in a large portion of playoff formats, forced to watch teams that we don't necessarily root for. I would my I would enjoy the game being within forty points the way it wasn't for most of the game between the Mavericks and the Suns. Those games weren't very good. Yeah, I mean, like in, I'd say this. I understand all sports have different dynamics. The fact that I get to love up on the stick sports today because we know offense is a little more scarce to come by in the NHL. Yes. College lacrosse, they just legit had a banger to end the night. Shout out to Delaware upsetting the two seed Georgetown Hoyas. In the opening rounds, they get a chance to go on to the quarterfinals. Delaware, who had to play a freaking play-in game coming in here and beating 15-1 and Georgetown in a game that, I, you know, I understand I'm going to be lacrosse guy on here. But those were, to me, like exciting portions of the night. It, it was entertaining, like performance-wise, and we will get to talk to Ryan Hollins, NBA analyst, the uh, t- television voice of the Houston Rockets about all the intricacies of what we saw and what it means for the upcoming series in the NBA playoffs because now we are on to the conference finals. We have got those matchups set according to our friends, our lovers, our life partners at DraftKings. The Dallas Mavericks are walking in as underdogs to the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. The Warriors for the series minus 245 as the favorites. And the Boston Celtics minus 160 as the favorites in the Eastern Conference Finals over the Miami Heat. And Brandon, for Boston, 
awesome performance from Grant Williams, of all people, Love which it. I don't think a lot of... Brandon, you know what? We're used to, at times, role players stepping up and having a marquee performance in this game. Jason Tatum had been super consistent, but Grant Williams, 27 points, including seven made threes. And while that was surprising, I still, after watching that whole game and seeing him go off from beyond the arc, and they just... Thoroughly outclassed, really, I, the Bucks in that the entire series. The Bucks did not shoot well. Chris Middleton out for the entirety of this series with the knee injury. That was never more apparent than in this Game 7. I didn't realize Grant Williams attempted 18 threes in this game. That is an insane heat check god-tier moment from a guy who was out having his moment on the anniversary of Kelly Olynyk's Game 7 performance miracle for Boston in playoffs of old. And, and shout out. And I, I will say, watching the game, I don't think he started to let them really fly until they were, let's call it, 14, 15 points ahead. And talk about uh, role players doing their thing. I'm glad it's a role player like him who's like clearly been knocking at the door for a very long time. It's like almost like a... Uh, uh, Jason Terry uh, back in that in that uh, playoff run with the Mavericks. It was like somebody who's knocking on the door just having one of those games where it all goes in. But all that aside, Grant Williams should never attempt 18 threes in a game again. Never. The five-year anniversary of Kelly Olynyk's Game 7 against the Wizards is what draws that out of Grant Williams in that game. The late games where it got interesting, Brandon, and I think my biggest takeaway in all this one because – We'll spend some time talking about Chris Paul. I'm sure that's what's going to dominate the news cycle today. I looked up at one point in like the third quarter and Devin Booker had five points and it made me think, I need someone on Reddit to be willing to do the deep dive on winning percentage historically by facial hair type mm. because I think full beard and mustache would probably be near the top. I think goatee is probably like the line of demarcation on this. That could go either way in a lot of instances. I think it's a facial hairstyle because I wore it so poorly. I'm a little averse to, but there are some known winners that have rocked that. Definitely. Chin strap has got to be pretty far down on the list. And as someone pointed out to me, I'm sure that's skewed by what young LeBron James was able to do. True. But by and large, I do not think it is a winning style of facial hair that Devin Booker has chosen as his hallmark. I think he, like a lot of people with facial hair, just trying to work what they got. He was working with what's given to him. I think he he should probably do fresh face. He should do baby face because this is, I think it works better for him. But what about Chris Paul? Chris Paul ain't never wore a goatee. No, Chris Paul hasn't worn a goatee. Um, but Chris Paul does the full beard, which generally tends to work very well. It's well kept. Like, and I understand. Listen, I first and foremost who use my facial hair to hide a double chin understand defining your jawline can sometimes be a huge positive for people that may otherwise be self-confident uh, self about their face shape. But at some point we got to look at the facts and I would just like to see that borne out to see if what I believe anecdotally to be true is actually borne out statistically. And so I'm going to outsource that to Reddit who when weaponized the right way can solve all of the world's problems. Oh, 100%, 100%. We need to get up on our Reddit page and if it already exists, someone uh, email me from the dark web and, and tell me about it. But I will say that I don't agree with Devin Booker pulling up in old school vehicles and like having this swag about, I think it's very difficult to have a swag about you with the, with the chin strap mustache, unless you're Reggie Bush in, in, in 2008. 
Yeah, uh, listen, you got to account for eras also because you're right. Different times bear out different trends yes. and all of that. Because um, Matt Liner but, had a nice chin strap during that time period, if you remember. I mean, it was it was it was quintessentially early two thousands. Like that was a lot of what was going on then. So again. You have to account for errors in this like everything else. We will try and adjust for that. If Lord knows if any league has stats that can adjust for error, it's the NBA. I just need that applied to facial hair because that was probably my biggest takeaway from that series as Devin Booker came up pretty small on that one, as did everyone on the Suns. They just got their asses whooped straight up. So much so that we had airport shit-talking going on in this series. Apparently, Phoenix Sky Harbor, the airport in Arizona, if anyone's unfamiliar had been out here talking a little bit of shit on these interwebs towards DFW and, I think, Dallas Love. Um, DFW decided to chirp back, tweeted the picture that had been going around during the game of Luka Doncic staring up at Devin Booker, who, lest we not forget, had that soundbite that came out from the last game where he was laying on the ground after a hard Powell and remarked to a fan that this was the Luka Doncic. where Luka you lay special. on the the Lucas special, excuse yes. me, where you lay on the ground and embellish that. So now you've got this picture going around online of Luca staring up at Devin Booker while they're both on the uh, on the block while someone's shooting a free throw. And Dallas Fort Worth's airport Twitter handle tweets at Phoenix Sky Harbor, "Hey, how you holding up? Let me just say this: dangerous game in this current climate with the way that air travel is right now. How expensive things are. Some of the dynamic at play between the customer." and the people selling you the planes. That being said, playing a dangerous game, and I love it. Shooting from the hips, understanding that having a hot social account has never been more important, and airports trying to say, maybe we can curb a little bit of this by having the saucy account that's going to go out here and tweet our enemies. I'm I'm glad you said saucy account, because I don't like this from a state-to-state, airport-to-airport beef. Uh, I think it needs to stay with the fast food restaurants. I think Wendy started this, this whole clapping back at each other. Now Arby's has a diss song against uh, McDonald's fish fillet sandwiches. There's violence amongst the fast food restaurants. There's a lot of heat. There's a lot of beef, quite literally, no pun intended. And I think it needs to stay there. I don't. I don't want the, our airports to start uh, start uh, dibbying, start start beefing around. Like I don't. I don't. I don't want Churchill Downs Airport. Uh, Churchill Downs Airport. <laughs> like I live here. Uh, it was SDF. Now it's Ali. International Airport here in Louisville. I don't think we need to start tweeting at wherever the hell the Belmont Stakes is about the best horse race. Like I think I think Listen, let's just chill. I'd say, I'm sorry, you're not confident enough in your airport. All right, like this is one of those situations <laughs> you describe with fast food. This is highly regional. This also gets into the notions of which airports can afford to talk shit because mm. there's a lot of airports that might want to look inside their own house before they start throwing stones because not everybody's buttoned up. Not everyone's out here getting their stuff right like Minneapolis-St. Paul's Airport is, okay. who is on lockdown. If they want to tweet and talk mess to somebody, be my guest. If Detroit, quite honestly, at this point, yeah. after their many-year glow-up over the last decade, yeah. wants to talk that talk... I'm pretty okay with that by and large, but there's some of y'all out there that are going to want to make sure you have got your stuff buttoned up. Maybe you've renovated the bathrooms recently, upgraded your dining options, made sure that, I don't know, just your terminals don't look like complete and utter hell. Maybe then we can have some of these conversations. Yeah, all the above is important. Have you ever done chapel at a church and a layover? Uh, No, I am not religious enough to make use of those features. 
My favorite feature in any airport, though, by far, is still the Atlanta airport smoking uh, rooms in the B terminal. Seeing people in the year of our Lord 2022 flying that have still decided this is important enough to me where I am going to go in this shielded off room during the side of the terminal here and make sure I can rip these heaters here. The Stugats is strong in a lot of those people. Much respect to all of them. So we we will get to plenty more NBA breakdown with Ryan Hollins. We will also get to a little bit of NFL news surrounding a very famous quarterback and broadcaster who may be on the move yet again, depending on who you listen to. We'll get to all that coming up here in just a little bit. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? Well, with DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and then boom, you have a shot and an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same-game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code GOJO, and bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code GOJO, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, a lot of NBA action to break down, which means we got to talk to one of our favorites, NBA analyst Ryan Hollins, the voice of the Houston Rockets over at AT AT&T Sportsnet. And uh, Ryan, I mean, me and Brandon have known you from a couple of different stops along the way here, man. So it's exciting to catch up with you, brother. How's it going? Doing good, guys. It's been a minute, man. Nice to get get the boys back together, man. Been a minute, fellas. It has been a minute, man. I missed the, I missed the energy too. The I, like one of the last times I saw you in person, you had the full blown. It was like the Santa Claus Christmas sack suit that you had worn on first take, and that was when I knew you were a man of great taste and style. Oh my! Hey, listen, those are fun days, man. Hey, dude, do you remember that day? I had like a, a level of rabdo, and I came in. Or was that yes. your dad? It was you and your dad, right? Yes. Oh my God. B, I what? did a. Uh, I did a, I did a, what, what is it? It's like the Memorial Day workout where you like wear a vest and like you do like, like, like oh, yeah. 500 pull-ups. Like, oh, I think it, is that the one that's called the Murph, right? Yeah. I did Murph bro with a vest on and I did, I went halfy. I went full halfy on all of my pull-ups and I got there too long of a story, but like I, I was ruined, bro. And like, was... I couldn't, I couldn't move my arms. Literally couldn't move my arms. One of the worst experiences of my life in the Double Tree Hotel in Bristol. I'm gonna try laugh. I'm not trying to laugh, but you just was well, working no, but, us up. Well, and the icing on the cake is in the Double Tree in Bristol, where you have to experience all this. Because Bro. as anyone who has ever flown in as an analyst or working on you know partly with ESPN, they know that Double Tree very well. And there's not a lot going on there to like pick you up when you are down like that. Yeah. It, it, it was so embarrassing. I couldn't move my arms, and I had to go ask the guy at the front desk to uh, to button pu- pu- to put my tie Stop. on and button, button. My arm was stuck like a uh, like an action figure. You know the like action figures where they don't have oh, yeah. the arms don't have the the, the movement. You know yes. you know what I'm saying? Like, like I got the was, elbow it joint. Was literally like that, bro. Like 
I mean, like embarrassing, dude. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, 5 a.m. hit. Like, I'm not in a position to cancel out. Like, go go there and show up. Man, that is that is a grinder mentality right there. It had to throw the guy at the front desk of the double tree off like crazy because usually the only request they are used to is people asking for more of those warm cookies when they get there. <laughs> hey, listen, hey, one of the most humbling things in my life, and the guy did it. And then, like, like I'm seven feet tall, so the guy's like reaching up to do it. Like, I, I mean, is what? Listen, B, you notice, bro? When we go into the media and we stop playing our respective sport and you don't work out the same. So like what happened was I thought I was in better shape than I, than I, than I actually was in. And I did the workout. I'm like, yeah, just overload the workout. Just go really hard and I'm going to be good. And my arms got stuck. And then I, I like, I didn't know what to do, dude, but you know, you sit around for a month, you know, eating that good cafeteria food in Bristol, you know, you, you get a little out of shape, man. <laughs> Murph, Murph might not be a good idea to hop into for your first workout in a month. It's, it's the worst thing for athletes. We, we always try to go in our, our baseline is how how athletic we were a couple months ago or like the last time that we were like in tip top shape. You're like, OK, let me go real hard. Go so hard that you can't move your body for the rest of the week. So I, I, I can understand you said it's the worst day of your life. We uh, Mike and I were saying before you came on that you are obviously a seven footer and you are as energetic as you are large as a human. And I can't imagine how uh, just cut off at the knees you felt uh not being able to move after that bro one. like for real like I, mike i think i'm not sure if you're there with your dad i want to say it was you and your dad and like i just like laid down on the desk before the hit and it was just like all right turn it on guys and i'm like i like i can't move my arms and i'm just like like a mannequin like <laughs> it was like well like brandon said that was when i knew something was really wrong because i know your usual energy level and how excited you are to do all this stuff and what you know energy you bring to everything you do and so when i saw that i was like oh, okay we, we gotta we gotta pick our buddy up today right now because he is clearly hurting out here all right b so my arms are stuck i've never had my biceps stuck before and i figured i'd unstick them so how do you do that i was like go down in the double tree, get in the hot tub. Mm. And then I took my bicep and I like locked it between my, my calf and I'm like yanking it straight. And all I did is like, like rip it further out. And then oh. my arm like swelled up in the shirt on both arms. And I'm like, I'm like out here by myself. And I'm like, dude, what do I like? Uh, it was, it, I wouldn't wish that on nobody. Like it sucked. And like, I guess rhabdo is like you got to go to the hospital for all that. So I didn't I didn't have that like the pee or anything, but I definitely pulled something in in my arm that was crazy. And then I'm I'm wearing a, a, a tank top. So as I'm running the the vest, I had the vest on the the, the weighted vest and the weighted vest was just cutting my skin. <sighs> so like on top of that, I'm in the shower and my just I'm like that little but you know you don't feel it when it's there. And then you get mm -hmm. a shower. Oh my God, bro, dude. People don't know, man. Hey, 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 Goli, hey, hey, Brandon, the, the commitment for us to get on and smile and do our thing, man. <laughs> they they think it's all fun and games leading up to putting the suit on and going on TV and feeling good. No, no, no. There's a reason those suits fit as well as they do, and it's because mm -hmm. Ryan's out here putting in the work on that. So we're uh we're glad we survived that one. We're glad no one right now is recording this from the Bristol Double Tree in any type of compromised position here. But uh Ryan, we do still get to talk about basketball after all of this and 
if we thought that sounded painful, I don't know if this is on the same level, but the Sunday night slate of NBA Game 7s turned out to be pretty painful here. Not a lot of competitive matchups in this one, largely thanks to a couple of star performances that we'll get to. But Ryan, I also want to start with what we saw in the Bucks celtics game because Grant Williams just decided it was his time to shine on this one. You've been around the NBA for a long time as a player and now someone talking about this. What is it like from a teammate standpoint when you see one of those guys that's not necessarily the star in that outfit starting to have that kind of night? Those are pieces to a championship. You know, when you, when you think of championship runs, and I'm not going to crown Boston, but I'm just saying in a sense, you know, someone steps up to be the hero in those games. And it was Jason Tatum in a major way on the road in Milwaukee, had a chance at, at home to close out. And really, you need that Grant Williams performance. And maybe that's the performance of his lifetime. But in a run, that ends up being everything. And you got to think how valuable that is. And when I think about this Boston team, they actually excite me because the last time they were good, they defended. They got after you. They did a lot of little things and they kind of got caught in the, you know, oh, we're superstars. Oh, we just need to score and get up and down. But Ime Duke in his first year as a head coach has done a heck, a heck of a job uh, over there. And I think that's the big difference. But you knew Tatum was going to draw the attention, but it's like, all right, who else is going to help? Who is going to help? Who's going to be that next guy that steps up? And, you know, it ended up being Grant Williams and, you know, unfortunately in Houston, we got to see Grant Williams and he went off. He had like his career high against us and, and just showed out. So um, it, it wasn't too surprising from the, <laughs> from our end, but he had a heck of a game, man. Oh, what do you say about Jason Tatum? Like, he, I think they, they leaked his stats about game sevens and he averages probably around 24 points. He kind of hit that same that same uh, point today. Is that... Is that an indictment on Jason Tatum as a superstar, or is that evidence of him being a superstar, being consistent in Game Sevens at least? Because we we'll get to other series uh, for the, with the Phoenix Suns later, but consistency among stars isn't something that is just uh, something that you you can come to expect in this today's NBA. We're in like this weird place right now where we've had LeBron James for so long and Steph Curry and those guys. And I think we're like, who's next? And I think we, we've really undervalued, you know, the Kobe Bryant, the Michael Jordan, the Magic, those guys that had a strangle, a stranglehold on the league. And I still think, you know, at a high, high level, it should be Kevin Durant. You know, he's probably next up that, like, if I have to, like, you know, put my money on somebody moving forward or can, to be consistent. But we're taking those guys for granted and how hard it is to do do it year in and year out. And our biggest complaint was, you know, LeBron, he, Mr. Losing the finals, you know, how many finals <laughs> is he going to lose? It? And like, and it's like, dude, to be the best player on the planet is, it is, it is tough, dude. And you see Giannis is going home early and you can argue he's the best player in the NBA. You know, he just dropped back to back 40 balls and then he just ran out of gas. And that's the difference. Like LeBron doesn't run out of gas in that situation. You, you, you know, right. Michael Jordan doesn't run out of gas in that situation. He comes home in the game, like those guys just find a way. So I think we've taken it for granted. I think we should appreciate that we have superstar parity in the league right now, right? Like we don't know that this guy is going to do this, this, and this. Like we have superstar mm -hmm. parity. Let's appreciate it. 
it's amazing to think about that idea of superstar parody and what you just mentioned with Giannis because I, I think that's the interesting question on the other side for this. The Bucks now end their run as the defending champions in the NBA. Giannis had a hot start in this one and it felt like he slowed down and yet I look up and he went for 25, 20, and 9 in this game. And Ryan, we saw and heard on the broadcast, he's the first player ever with 200 points, 100 rebounds, and 50 assists in a playoff series. And yet he's going home. Is there any of this that's an indictment on Giannis? Or or what in your mind was the biggest problem for the uh, for the Bucks? maybe outside of just not having Chris Middleton on the floor? Yeah, well, Giannis, he's, just, he's not a closer, but he's everything else. So, like, it, it's almost like Shaq. Like, Shaq wasn't going to go isolation from the top of the key, but Shaq would give you 40 and 20. So he has that similar Shaquille O'Neal-like impact. And there's nothing that you say about Shaq, but it was Dwayne Wade going to get it in those big games. It was Kobe Bryant, but Shaq was dominant. So Giannis is dominant, and it's I, I don't think, like you said, it's an indictment on what he can do, but Middleton in those situations is a better closer, and it's not that – you know, Giannis can't go out and get a big rebound or get a big layup or he doesn't command double and triple teams. So I think he's the hybrid version of Shaquille O'Neal's impact. And Shaq was dominant. Giannis in this generation is dominant, but he's not necessarily the closer. He's not the guy like he's not uh, Michael Jordan. He's not a LeBron. He's not a Kobe. And it's just not a knock. He's, he's his own element. He's in that Shaquille O'Neal type of frame and, and, and model. And that's that's pretty darn good company and i think it's it's even bigger when Shaq goes cool man like 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 Shaq gives you the nod and, and doesn't mind the superman title is kind of behind you 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 know or that type of dominance so i i think i definitely agree with with that and i i don't think there's anything wrong with Giannis brings man he, he he's he's one of the greatest players to ever play the game well i was, I was just gonna say that i enjoy and if you guys heard his post game but he said he doesn't want to think about what they lost. He wants to think about what they gained and what they need to learn to maybe win the championship next season, if not next season, the season after that. And it's so kind of calm and reserved uh, and level-headedness. And all, I'm sitting back thinking, he's just talking like this because he just won the ship. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's there's all kinds of just, yeah, there's there's all kinds of just, it's, it's so easy for him to be like, oh, yeah, you know, you know things happen. It's because he just won the chip, like, what do you need to learn? And it, it almost was as simple as they didn't have that extra score out there in Chris Middleton. And I just – I appreciate the, the resolve for the entire Bucks team not winning. The, and they put it all out on the court. And he's like, you know what? Yeah, we didn't get it. And they shouldn't even have been in this situation because they stole that – what was it, game game four or five? Like, they stole the game, bro. Like, like they shouldn't – like, Boston – if Boston – listen, bro. True. If Boston doesn't win this, they are sick for the rest of their life. They probably break the team up, like because mm. the way they lost a couple of those games, that that like the, the smoke layup, the, the 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 turnover at the end when Tatum's wide open, like they had to win this series, dude. And, and I and I think you you kind of take that for granted, like you know Boston, they did what they were supposed to do. They they had their full team, they had a good year, they did what they were supposed to do. Ryan, before we get to the the nightcap from last night, we do have now Miami and Boston set in the Eastern Conference. According to DraftKings, uh, the Heat are a favorite in game one, but Boston is the favorite for the series. They're at minus 160 on that one. Early prediction for you. Who do you like in that Eastern Conference finals matchup? Woo. 
I like Boston. I think they're deeper. I think they play hard. I think they're willing to grind again. I think, you know, Jimmy can be up and down. I think they have bodies to throw at Jimmy Butler. Um, I think this may not be the biggest scoring affair that we've expected, but I think we're going to get a good one. But I think, you know, it's not a big edge. It's not. I just think there's more talent, you know, on the offensive end uh, in in terms of Boston. They grind and they do the little things, too. And I think the inconsistencies in the heat scoring might actually catch up with them. All right, so Ryan, with that series as something we have to look forward to, let's look back on what happened in the West last night because if we thought that the Celtics ran and hit with things a little bit, step right up, the Dallas Mavericks heading on to face the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference Finals after beating the Suns 123-90 to on the road in Phoenix. And Ryan, the headline from this, I think, for a lot of people is going to be what we saw. Brandon sent me this note courtesy of StatMuse that Chris Paul is now the first player ever to blow 5-2-0 leads in a best-of-seven series. People are going to look at him because he has been seen as the leader of this team. But Ryan, how much of this is fair to lump on 37-year-old Chris Paul for the way that this went versus Devin Booker and the rest of this Suns team? Uh Man, I, I think you got to realize how exhausting it is to be dominant in the regular season and then turn it on in, mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Like, that's hard. Like, ask Tom Brady, all right, okay, the New England Patriots. You know, ask, ask the Lakers from a, se- a couple of the runs. Like, it is it is tough to do. Ask the Warriors, man. Yeah. Like, you, you mentally fatigue out, and that's why you see those experienced championship teams that know how to win. They come back and they go, we're, we're going to coast the regular season. You guys can be champions will be postseason champions. And uh, I think it just wore on him. I think the toughest thing with Chris is he just had to get one stamp on his legacy was a championship. And I'm not saying he won't get it, but it, it might be like a, a tag-along championship. Not the, not the like, hey, you were still that guy playing at a high level and you hope that he can come back and perform. And you really feel for Chris because he just, he just need that one championship and you put him in there like, like B, you talked about earlier, like Giannis... It's like, hey, bro, what y'all, what y'all gonna say about me? I'm certified, dog. Yep. I'm certified, right. and, and CP could feel it. Um, but I, I, I think my heart goes out to them. They, they gave it their all. They, they improved, and I, I think they're gonna have to just kind of get back to the drawing board. And they got, I, I, I don't think them boys saw what was coming from today, man. I, I do not think they knew what was coming today, and they, it was like, whoa. <laughs> I, I love the hubris of basketball players, of athletic athletes. In general, obviously, we can talk to Luca and how he's <laughs> cheesing uh, at Devin Booker. But I feel like this was a result of Devin Booker acting like they were just about to just walk into the Western Conference Finals again. Like, I feel like Luca smelled it and was like, all right, I'm going to show you who should have been number four in the MVP ballots instead of instead of who was in, in front of me. How do you how do you justify Devin Booker disappearing the way he did in game seven last night? I don't think I can just blame Devin Booker, man. I think, I think you gotta hate take your hats off to the defense that the Mavericks played. I, listen, on, on the record, you guys, I've been on the record of saying I really like the Mavericks, and they were down on two. I told everybody I really like the Mavericks because they defend. Luca's the best closer left in the playoffs right now, and I think it was Game Four that where they completely took. They completely took Chris Paul out, and he had fouls. And I was like, "Oh no, 
if they got the book on Chris Paul, it's a wrap, bro. Like it's if they got the the rap on the the you know the the game plan for Chris Paul. If Jason Kidd found that out, a former uh, teammate of mine, actually when I played in Dallas, it might be a wrap. And I think that's what we ended up seeing. And then it's like Chris is kind of the engine, put guys in the right spot, hit timely baskets, set guys up. So without Chris playing at a high level, it made her tough. It made it tougher on D book. And you just really hadn't seen the team come out and switch all the screens and, you know, pressure the basketball and get up in the suns like that. The suns are normally the teams, the team that's pressuring the basketball and doing those things. So, man, I'm telling you, Jay kid is, he's different, bro. He's different, man. And, and, it, it, I, it, I, I actually saw it coming. Well, I, I, and you mentioned playing with Jason Kidd, knowing him very well. What's different about him, and why does it work so well with Luca? Apparently, well, Jason Kidd is very defensive minded. Everybody thinks about the assists, but he would always guard the other team's best player. And he had the high IQ to kind of read a scouting report. He knew when he can get physical. He knew when he had to be hands off. And and Jason Kidd is one of the NBA's probably greater, better defenders that never got credit for it. So. He knows the tricks of the trade, the unwritten rules to the point guard position. So, you know, Chris Paul relies on getting into the bonus. He relies on drawing fouls. He relies on, you know, his shooting. You know, he's not a great finisher as he was once he when he was younger in the lane. And Jason Kidd just drew the percentages. And then, you know, you had a guy like Jay, like Brunson that was just going at him, attacking Chris Paul. So, you know, he knew the psyche the mental game behind the scenes to play with Chris and it's like hold on if we get Chris we get Aiton done then we get Booker who's having to do more creating and then they're not able to get out in transition because they're not getting good shots normally make or miss Phoenix Suns get really good shots every single time down the floor and they ended up having to play a lot more one-on-one than they wanted to well, and so you mentioned defensively how he helps them. Has Kid been the difference then for what we've seen with Luka too? Like what are we seeing as far as Luka Doncic's development that hasn't? I saw he finished, he had 27 points in the first half. He was the first player in the last 25 seasons to match or exceed his opponent's entire scoring total in a playoff game and a half. So, I mean, it was freakish. He came out and had eight points in the first two minutes. It was full bully ball, but in your mind, is there something different we're seeing out of Luka in this postseason run? So I'll say this, as far as the setup from Jason Kidd's standpoint, they really defend. So when they defend, they allow Luka to play one-on-one and be free. And before, they would try to outscore you. So now Luka can play one-on-one and he's comfortable. And then tonight we saw him get hot and then it was it was a, it was a blitz. But if you're going to play one-on-one Luka versus your guy, Luca's gonna win, and especially if you guys are defending at the high at a high level with Bullock and Finney Smith and those guys, and now you got three and D guys over there. So the three and D guys fit, and then Spencer Dinwiddie can go and kind of get a shot. Brunson can go and get his own shot. So now it's our one-on-one guys versus your one-on-one guys, and the, and you're gonna end up leading out. So Luca, I think he just put in a more comfortable position where he doesn't have to outscore you. You know, mm-hmm. Dallas couldn't get a stop. You know, last few playoff series to save their life. Now they can get stopped. So it's like, oh, this is cool. You, you, you know, now we have the leeway to play. And I've always said it, guys, defense travels. Same thing in football. Defense travels, okay? And now you're starting to see that in Dallas, and that's why I've been extremely high on the Mavericks. Okay, well, you also 
you have a reason to be high on the Mavericks. You played for them uh, back in the day. You was with them when we were freshmen at Notre Dame back in 08. Last time they went to the finals, obviously, was in 2011. But what do you think this means for Dallas, a, a, a NBA franchise that people don't always think about when it comes to the big names in the NBA. I, after the game, you see Luka Doncic and Dirk Nowinski smiling and hugging and brings a tear to my eye. It's just like kind of a beautiful thing for that city. But going into this Western Conference Finals, playing against the Golden State Warriors, a, a actual championship team, a championship roster, how do you think the Dallas Mavericks, uh, the city of Dallas is feeling right now going to the Western Conference Finals and what Luka means to that city? Oh, this, this is big, man. You got another... Um, like you got spoiled. Like you have a gener- you had a generational talent in-, in Dirk, one of the greatest international players to ever grace the NBA. And then you have like the torch is is handed to to Luca. You-, you-, you know what I'm saying? And I think that's special in itself to see. And I know Dallas is going crazy. And I've been telling people, I think whoever wins this series will go on and win the NBA championship. I, I was saying that I-, I it was either the Suns. Or the Mavericks. And I was telling people I like the Mavericks. And the Mavericks could fool around and be NBA champions. I'm telling you that right now because here's the deal. They have the best closer in the game. In Luka. And I was saying this. I was screaming it. I was saying this. And the people were like, Mavericks? Mavericks, bro. Name a better closer in the game right now. If you have a last second shot right now, the guys left in or the guys who are coming in, who do you want to put the ball in whose hands? Luca, bro. Could you make the argument he's the best player left in this postseason? Does Steph Curry still get that based off accomplishment? Or if we're going just off who's playing the best right now? He's clearly playing the best right now. But he can go create his own shot. Like like Steph, in those moments, Steph can run. Steph can clearly shoot better. But you're saying he can create his own shot. Jason Tatum kind of has that. But he's a little more polished than Tatum because he's a better ball handler. Mm-hmm. So, guys, if I need I need a shot, I'm giving the ball to Luca. I'm not giving it to Jimmy Butler. I wasn't giving it to Giannis. I'm giving it to Luca. So you think Dallas can go out here? Would you Would you pick them to beat Golden State? Is that what you're saying at this point? Yes. Wow. Yes. All right. Yes. Golden State had some underwhelming moments. I think they're they're still figuring things out. They don't look like a well oiled machine. I think you have a lot of respect because they have a championship chemistry. I think the I think there's gonna be a dog fight. I think they're gonna to try to pick on Luca. That experience is gonna be like, all right, Luca, we're gonna put hands on you. So you're saying so you're saying the what we saw from the Grizzlies and Warriors series, it wasn't the Warriors getting caught sleeping because they didn't respect the John Morantless Grizzlies team. It was the Warriors just ain't there like that. Not the same. They're good. They got experience. They're figuring things out, but it's not, they're not the same. It's not the well-oiled machine. You know, your, your NBA champion don't get blasted by, by a 50 ball, bro. You, you know, that doesn't like quite happen. Mm-hmm. You know, that you lose, don't get me wrong, but they've been, let me say this. To see them be competitive again, I think is good for the league. I'm excited to see but we're ready to just be like, Golden State is back. We had that feel, and it's yep. not the same. It's a hardworking, gritty group, but it's not Warriors. You, you know, like it's still a, <laughs> it's still a squad, but yeah. I think it's good for the league that they're good. 
but it's not warriors come out and play (laughs) no man it's true nostalgia is a hell of a drug and you're right once we saw golden state giving us that little hit of what we had had back in that run back during that big time championship move where they were on dynasty track we were already myself included to dive right back into that and so I think it's a good reminder and a good reset of who's actually playing well right now and what we get to expect now as we head to the conference finals in the NBA. Ryan, man, it was great catching up. We appreciate you giving us some time. We'll have to get you back here real soon, man. This was fun. Hey, hey, anytime, fellas. You guys know what it is, man. Good catching up with you guys. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks a lot. All right. Big thanks to Ryan Hollins for sticking around with us here. We will get to the news out of the NFL about a Hall of Fame quarterback and a broadcaster that you and I got very familiar with last season who might be changing things up a little bit here and has disputed that on his own Twitter account. But, Brandon, we're sitting around after talking to Ryan, and all of a sudden you start this anti-Chris Paul propaganda that you want to profess here. First takes coming up later, Brandon. I'm sure they're going to get to plenty of that at the rate things are going. (laughs) It's not anti-Chris Paul anything. It's just that the quote-unquote point guard, who had one of those points at halftime of this closeout game in Game 7 against Luka Doncic and the uh, Dallas Mavericks, says that he's not retiring. The quote that that pulled for uh, Yahoo Sports that turned into a graphic, which is the thing that I'm upset about because the ellipses that they're saying, there are probably a couple paragraphs in between, but he says, we'll be right back here next year, ellipses, I'm not retiring. Okay, my issue with that quote, quote is and that statement is Chris Paul like Ryan Holland said if you are winning a championship it will be a tag along championship to be fair you saying that you guys will be right back there next year is disrespectful to the pursuit of an NBA championship in my opinion especially on the west for him to just be so brazen to say that They'll be back. They can be back there next year to say I'm not retiring as if he is going to be the reason why the Suns are back. Like, I don't want to hear him talking about we're going to be here next year because I'm not retiring. Boy, slow down and sit down. Take a break. Take take the trip to Cabo. Relax, Cancun, wherever y'all going. And then reassess. Like, I know Chris Paul is that man. I know he's that dude. I know he's going to be back next year. You just, you just made it sound like he wasn't that dude. And he wasn't that man. I'm talking All about. I'm talk- right there was the polar opposite. I'm talking about in the regular season. I'm talking about, like, you have to give respect when respect is due. But you also can give disrespect where it's due. And I don't think Chris Paul is in a, in a position right now after that embarrassing performance in a game seven that wasn't even the Western Conference Finals. I don't think he's in a position to say, we'll be right back here next year. I'm not retiring. Anybody ask? Like, I, I, people I mean, they, ask, they, did they did ask, ask him, him if he was retiring. They did ask him. But, like, come on. Yeah, come on. everyone was asking. Come on. come on. Like, this now's not the time for hubris. Now's not the time for hubris, I, I don't, Chris. I don't, I don't understand what else you want him to say in that spot. He is the le- unquestioned leader of that team, which we can talk about what that means for the Suns, that you have a 37-year-old that is the unquestioned leader of your okay. team who's not space alien physically like LeBron James, but 
Chris Paul has been looked at as maybe not the best all the time, but the most important player on that team because of what he offers you in every facet of the game, as opposed to Devin Booker, who appears to just be offensively gifted at this mm. point. So I don't, I, I truly don't understand or see what there is to be upset about that. We just went through it, albeit the Grizzlies maybe went out on their shield a little bit more than the Phoenix Suns did in Game 7, but... The Grizzlies had their guys coming out and saying the same thing. Golden State is old, we are young, and we are coming after them. And it was perfectly fine. No, I love that. I understand. That makes a lot more sense coming from the Memphis Grizzlies who did what they did without John Morant during the regular season and the postseason. For Chris Paul, right now, right now, for Chris after Paul, that one? Who is the who is the unquestioned leader of that team who has to send the message to that locker room that, hey, this is not going to stop us. We are going to be right here. Him and Monty Williams know what they're doing. Those are master class yes, leaders. Yes, of course. But he and, I mean, in Chris Paul's case, a master class nut puncher, but we understand that yes. you know people can contain multitudes yes. and there's a lot that goes into everything. And I'm so. pulling for Monty Williams as a Notre Dame uh, alum as uh, and also as uh, reigning coach of the year. Should have been two-time but Thibodeau took it from last year. My thing is, him saying we're going to be right back here next year is talking about a loss in the semi-Western Conference Finals. That's all I'm saying. He's going to be right back there. Congratulations. Congratulations. I don't know where this is coming from. I don't like it. I don't like it. Just take the loss. You don't, you take don't, the like, loss and you don't like that he has confidence in himself? <sighs> he wasn't disrespectful to the Dallas Mavericks, at least in that statement. He just said... We're a good basketball team. We're going to be a good basketball team next year, and I am not retiring. He stopped an entire take cycle from wondering, is Chris Paul going to return to the Phoenix Suns next year? What does this mean for the future of this team? They've already got DeAndre Ayton, who I believe is going to be a restricted free agent yes. this coming offseason to worry about, so that's going to be enough of a headline in this. For a guy who, not for nothing, when we talk about one of the big differences between last year's postseason run for the Suns that ended in an NBA finals trip and this season was the fact that DeAndre Ayton played a lot better during that True. run and he had a lot of strides and made a lot of growth during this season mm -hmm. but when you looked at two guys again from the same draft class we always talk about DeAndre or, um we always talk about Luka Doncic and Trey Young but DeAndre Ayton was the number one pick in that draft class lest we not forget mm. so there is that portion of all of this. All I'm saying is Chris Paul understands that he is still the voice that leads that locker room. And I think we always have to remember that you and I know damn well, a lot of times people stepping up in the press conference are not talking to the media or talking to the fans. They're talking to the other people in that locker True. room and reminding them what's really good. Okay, so, but the fans that, are listening. And when they heard that, how many of those fa disinterested fans that were in that arena tonight saw that quote and were like, yes, can't wait. I don't think there's a bunch. I don't think there's a bunch. No. I think they're all going to talking stick to try and, you know, get some money back that they lost spending all that money on their tickets to watch their team get their asses whooped. That's probably what's happening. On Thank that, you for so. indulging me with this because I just want to get it off my chest. I, I could t I could tell you had it bubbling up under the surface, and I had to see what was the cause of all that. And while I still don't think I understand it, this is a platform we get to speak our mind, and so <laughs> that is exactly what we are going to do. That is also what Drew Brees did mm. yesterday, Brandon, because uh, Drew Brees had to watch the internet take cycle during the day talk a lot about him. Andrew Marchand in the New York Post reported that Drew Brees was done at NBC after one season, saying he will not return there after being a studio and a game analyst for them, which we know he's part of the Sunday Night Football in America crew, but also the game analyst for Notre Dame football broadcasts alongside Mike Tirico. 
And so that news started making the rounds and was then later in the night met by a tweet from Drew Brees himself that said, quote, despite speculation from media about my future this fall, I'm currently undecided. I may work for NBC. I may play football again. I may focus on business and philanthropy. I may train for pickleball tour, senior golf tour, coach my kids or all of the above. I'll let you know. And while Brandon, we saw it descend into snark a little bit there at the end where he's obviously leaning into all this one. Him saying I'm currently undecided is already enough of an admission for this to be kind of wild for a guy who came into all of this. And I thought, quite frankly, on the Notre Dame football games last year, by and large did a pretty good job. True. And then got to the point where I think they had a wild card playoff game that that crew did and was a little bit more fish out of water. But again, this was, you know, it was surprising, but this is still a guy who was early on in his career of doing this, making that transition in a way that's a lot harder than, you know, the Tony Romos and Greg Olsons of the world that have made it looked. And so the fact that this might already be a thing that he is done with was pretty surprising to a lot of people, myself included. Well, that's that's my whole thing uh, with the Tom Brady news. Like, you can't shore up a future for something that you haven't done. Or and don't even know what your interest is in doing it. Drew Brees, like, I, like you said, looked very comfortable calling Notre Dame games. And then there was times during Football Night in America and other times on NBC where he looked like he wanted to be anywhere else but right there with Tariko, Maria Taylor, Chris Sims, Mike Florio, and team. Like, it, it, he looked – he was definitely that former player voice, and they gave him the, the easy tee balls so he can hit out of the park. But it, it didn't seem like he enjoyed it. It didn't seem like he loved it. And I, what I don't like about his message back to everyone else is – the fact that he's undecided means, okay, you're, you've decided on one thing that you don't like it. <laughs> like, you being undecided means you don't like this. And then outside of that, the fact that he added the, I might play football again in there. Like That one's going to be the one that I think people run with, too, huh? all of a sudden now is, all right, if things are getting spicy for the New Orleans Saints this season, don't do that. And maybe everything's not working out all too well there. Maybe there's another injury. Now all of a sudden, would he think about coming back since Mike Thomas should be back and healthy? Since Chris Olave would be in that receiving core now too. That that Jarvis you're right Landry. is probably the sneakier one to pay. Yeah, to say Tyron Matthew there on defense. Jarvis Landry just signed uh, this weekend as well. So you're right. That one's probably going to keep a few more people up at night. Yeah, I don't. I don't like and, it. I don't like it. That that should be a, that should always be a surprise. Like because every former football player that's a career former football player is still trying to play football. I feel like that's one of those things that's like said but not said. Like it just kind of goes by. You know I, what I'm saying? Like I, go, like I mean, he's a quarterback. I, I I appreciate this from Drew Brees, if nothing else, because it mimics a pattern. We talk about this being a copycat league a fair amount, sure. and this is exactly the kind of response I think we get when guys are upset that someone else is breaking their own news or talking about mm. them. And that's what happens. I mean, we have a whole media arm that's been built up around talking about the media, kind of the way we're doing right now is sort of like the <laughs> Russian nesting doll of media takes. Right. But remember this happened when uh, Jeff Darlington and Adam Schefter broke the news about Tom Brady's retirement. Yes. 
And then we had that like three-day standoff where Brady's camp was trying to make it clear that that wasn't official yet because they wanted to come out and announce it themselves. And then obviously Brady really cemented that by full-on unretiring like two months later. But I think that's kind of what this smells like is I I don't think everyone always likes having someone else breaking news about them and putting these decisions out there, especially if maybe they haven't had a chance to talk to their employer or the people and actually deliver that news. And so I can understand where this probably comes from, even if I could see Marshan ultimately being right and Drew Brees saying, hey, I don't feel like getting hassled all fall because people don't think I'm as good at this thing. That's kind of always a moving target on what we actually think is good when Drew Brees just finished being a Hall of Famer at the thing he was doing before that. Like, that's a it's a pretty understandable thing when you are as rich as Drew Brees is and as accomplished as Drew Brees is to say, yeah, I'm not going to go do this thing where everyone just gets up here and tries to talk about how bad they think I am at this thing that's incredibly hard to judge and do. Well, I think one thing you left out is, is that how likable Drew Brees is, how liked, how beloved he is from well, from the masses. That's. That, that depends on, I think, who you're asking. Drew Brees, especially later on in his career, after all the stuff with Advocare, after his response to some of the things okay. from the summer of 2020. Okay. Like, okay. I, I think there are plenty of things where people might have had more of a split decision on how they felt about Drew Brees. But you're right. I mean, he's a Walter Payton Man of the Year guy. Right. Like He's generally well, especially in that New Orleans community. But you think about, again... Being that beloved in a city as he was for so long, like I've always said, what Drew Brees and Sean Payton did with that Saints team winning a Super Bowl, being part of that healing coming off Hurricane Katrina, is a relationship between player, coach, and city that very few places, if any, will ever be able to replicate. Right. And, it will never, and that will never change for him. That's why I say that he's in a position now that why give anyone anything to dislike about me when I'm already so loved? And that's such a such a hard thing to do at the position I play for as long as I've played it, playing it in one at not one franchise, but one franchise that that meant the most uh, at the end of his career. So that, that's that's my thing is if he doesn't love the game, there's no point in putting himself out there for criticism for a paycheck. And not not you know when I say the game, I mean the game of getting in the booth and calling the games. Well, you you mentioned the paycheck too. It also could be he looked at what Brady was about to make just walking into this and maybe said, wait a minute. And I don't know what Drew Brees is making on but this. But said, wait a minute, what? Pocket watching like that and saying, wait a minute, he's getting paid that much to do it. Maybe his dollar amount is not quite the same as that dollar amount. And so he's like, well, I'm not going to stick around if I know that kind of bag is out here and I am not getting to that at this point. Mike. They're all competitors, man. St- all competitors. I know. I know. I know. Everybody's aware. But there's a reason why Drew Brees got the hell out of there. And one of the reasons why is Tom Brady came over as well, and Aaron Rodgers wasn't going nowhere. I think I think that ship has sailed. And he's got his records. And everybody can do the art debating of who's the best uh, quarterback statistically, actua- actually best quarterback via arm, uh, arm strength, all those different arguments that happen around Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and Tom I'm not Brady. talking about quarterbacking. I'm talking about me. I'll, I'll say this. It's a tough position he was in in general because a lot of those football players in the booth are, is different than those, than those guys in the, in the, um, in the studio. He, he, had, he had a tough listen, job. Listen. I have a lot of empathy for anyone that does that job. I'm not comparing myself to any of those guys, but just having done that job and that particular role, 
it's tough because I think everyone watching kind of wants something different. Mm. And I think in general, as a public, how we go about the likability politics of that, who decides what's good enough for us to decide, hey, X broadcaster is really good because no offense to the general watching public, I don't think people are watching it with a fine-tooth comb of like, you know, some people that you would trust who have gone to school for that, right. who understand the mechanics of the booth and all that stuff. Like, no, people just like what they like. And that's largely, it's why we have so many different kinds of broadcasts popping up right True. now is because I think so many people like a different flavor of ice cream with all that. So I think it's a tough spot for Drew. I think there's a lot of factors that might go into all of this one. And I don't know what the decision is going to be. I'd imagine at some point he is going to tell us that now that we have had this response to the reporting out there. And that always makes it interesting because, again, it's not always fun to have other people in the media talking about what's going on in your life and breaking the news to you. We see and hear plenty of that in the world of sports when guys find out about trades, riding the exercise bike, when Adam Schefter or one of the many great NFL and uh, NBA insiders tweet stuff out like that. So that is kind of what we've got going on in all of that. That is how busy a weekend of sports it was that Drew Brees, even like you said, hinting at the idea that he may come back and play, is somehow pushed in the back burner after everything that we had. But Brandon, speaking of the back burner, it's time for us to get to this, that, and the third. Are you ready? I is. Well, good. Because let's start off with Major League Baseball. Speaking of things that have been on the back burner, as we start the season here, it's early on in Major League Baseball. It's a long season. We like to let trends get in the way. But every once in a while, we like to celebrate true misery. And that comes in the form of the Cincinnati Reds, who went out and had their prized rookie Hunter Green and their reliever Art Warren combined to throw zero hits in a complete game that did not count as a no-hitter or even a win. The Pirates instead, who they were playing managed to run in the bottom of the eighth inning on three walks and a ground out for a one nothing victory on Sunday. The Pirates became the sixth team in big league history since 1901 to win a game without any hits. The last time it happened was in 2008, this according to ESPN Stats and Information. Brandon, the Reds managed to go out here and mess up a no-hitter badly enough to find a way to lose that game. The Pirates did basically nothing and walked out with a win because that's where the Reds are at at this point. That is some Cincinnati Bengals of old stuff if I've ever heard it. How? Listen, How? when you are Brandon, when, when you are nine and twenty-six with the worst record in the majors, you were inventing new ways to lose. And this felt like one of them. Now we just told you they didn't invent it. It's happened before, but Lord Jesus, it's impressive in a way that's truly hellish. I saw Kurt Herbstreet, noted Cincinnati Reds fan, tweeting about this. They're all in hell. They've been in hell, and this is just insult to injury. Yeah, but I I do love that it's indicative of that sports city. Yeah, I mean, listen, Cincinnati, I hope they get a little bit of a renaissance now that, like you said, Joe Burrow has basically dragged that family and that ownership group into having to do things that resemble competitive moves towards winning football because it has not always been the case. And I like Cincinnati. I like everything about that city. I like the downtown scene. I like the fact that it's one of two cities called the Queen City in the United States. Shout out to Charlotte also on that front. I like Grater's Ice Cream. I like Montgomery and and Ribs. Like, I have family in Cincinnati. I enjoy that city, and I want good things for them. These are not good things. 
this is not enjoyable for anyone in the process. So congrats to the Reds on dubious history. But Brandon, we have real congratulations in order for people that have gone out and completed major moments and marquee events in their lives here. Because we know right now it is springtime. We are still currently in the month of May, which means it's graduation season. And we always enjoy seeing the stories of when pro athletes go back and decide for some reason that being rich and successful and having accomplished so many of the things that you've enjoyed still mean that you feel the need and desire somewhere inside to go back and get a piece of paper that's just going to sit in your mantle and collect dust. But education's still cool in some respects. Steph Curry and Jerome Bettis both each went back to their respective alma maters and actually got the piece of paper. 13 years after entering the NBA, Steph Curry went back to Davidson and completed his Bachelor of Arts degree with a major in sociology and became a part of their class of 2022, which was pretty cool for Steph. Jerome Bettis, who left 28 years ago to enter the 1993 NFL draft, came back and completed his degree in the Mendoza School of Business and got his paper at Notre Dame. So shout out to the two of them. I mean, you actually have to go back and do the classes. We've had former teammates of ours that have gone back and done that in off seasons to complete their degree. And so it's nothing to shake a stick at. It's pretty impressive. So congrats to those guys. Yes, congrats. Uh, uh, Well-deserved, well-accomplished, but why? I think I, 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 and I don't, I say why because of the uh, level of time, the time removed and also the success acquired in that time period is, is kind right, of like, for, for both of my Jerome Bettis. I understand like kind of uh, nostalgic in a way. Uh, like you said, we've had all kinds of guys always come back golden. Uh, Jimmy came back. There's a bunch of guys that always came back and, and finished out the degrees in a timely manner. But Steph Curry, it just feels like maybe he's like trying to buy an NFT that he can't get without a bachelor's degree. Like, I don't understand why, like, who's he doing it for? Like, does Dell even have a degree? Like, it's not even like a family thing. Like, I'm, I'm very, I'm, it, well, it, we, feels, we it feels listen. like, it feels like will, getting a say, hobby. It feels like getting a I hobby. I will say, we don't know what their relationships were to these degrees and who they might have made promises to or why they might want to do it. Like, it's cool, but I'm generally with you in that all the things you go to college for are to acquire knowledge and experience necessary to, in theory, go out in the workforce and make this kind of stuff happen. And they already made it happen. (laughs) They made it happen at a really high level for both of them on and off the court and field. And so it's nice to go back and get the paper, I guess, good for them, but... I'm with you in the fact that, now, I will say, part of this could also be maybe just being able to say and send the message to your kids, to anyone else in all this about, hey, like, look what your dad did. This is why, like, I only say this because my younger brother Jake is getting ready to have his first child. Him and his wife have their baby boy due in July, and my brother was not the best student in the world. We can say, uh, we can say that. Yeah. Like, well, he, he, he did I would say he didn't my, care about it as much as he cared about other things. Yes, my, bro- my brother does not like being told what to do when it comes to that stuff. But if you allow him to actually go out and do himself, great natural aptitude for things, very smart guy, just didn't like school all that much. That being said, he is now getting ready to be a father. 
And all of that is good and well-intentioned, but he's going to want his son to try a lot harder in school than he did. And has already said, Mike, who I was, you know, among the very few accomplishments that I actually had of like anything tangible in college. I was an academic All-American my fifth year at Notre Dame because we were 12 and 0. And because I had done good at school as an undergrad, I was a non-degree seeking graduate student who took one class that met on campus and it was twice a week. And if it was raining, I sometimes didn't go. So like it was a lifetime achievement award because we decided to be 12 and 0 that season. And my brother's already said he is going to take that award, get a trophy shop to put his name on it and lie to his son Mm. and say that he was the academic all American so that his kid will believe that school is something that is important, that the family values and that he needs to try hard in so I can understand hey maybe it sends a good message to anyone around in your life who you may want that to go out to I yes I hear all of it and it makes a bunch of sense in the world but as someone who I don't want to say it like this don't you just forget that you graduated from college sometimes like like that piece of paper like I I don't have it framed anywhere like I I I, I hope it means to them more than it's ever meant to me. I'll say that. I actually, I, I mean, I can't front on this one. And in all seriousness, congrats to Steph and Jerome. Yes. Like, the fact that they went back and did it's incredible. Graduation actually was super cool for me. Like, I... It was we cool. Both came to, we, we both came to Notre Dame in different ways. I grew up a Notre Dame fan my entire life. My entire family has gone through there. And so graduation day actually was a pretty huge moment for me. And one I look back on pretty fondly. It, as well as well as well as I. And we I remember you were wearing a, a lacrosse penny under your uh under your uh Yeah, shout out to Sean Rogers, a lacrosse team who should have been in the tournament this year. Was always in the tournament. They had to do graduation away from campus while they were going through those games. And so I rep for my boy, Shawnee Rogers, number 18 in the program, number one in your hearts. Yes. Sh- lefty sniper, sh- big game Rogers. <laughs> Shout out Shawnee Rogers always. But that I'm saying that to say, I remember it. It was fun. It was great. It was a big moment. I Honestly, not to get weird with everyone, but didn't we like text late into the night that night? <laughs> We were just like, we were like texting like into 5 a.m. that night. Like we were just on some like. Yeah, because we were drunk. It was, yeah, just on some like closure I was thing. drunk. Yes. I was drunk every day for the two weeks leading up to graduation. I hear like, that. I know, but I'm saying that graduation and the degree and the piece of paper that comes from it, I feel like it's two separate, very, two very separate things. And they're as connected as the individual person wants to make it. So good for them. I hope they, I'm glad they got their piece of paper. I hope it fits in their beautiful homes and their houses. And I hope whoever, whatever grandkid wants to see it, it, it means a lot to them. Later, I don't on know where this bitterness came. It's from no bitterness. Here it's no. You bitterness. just did a whole lot of talking out of both sides of your mouth on that. I appreciate it. You've learned from Stu Gods very well that you don't have to be consistent. You just have to say the words. I don't. I, I respect it and I and I appreciate it, but it's just like why. It's just a why. I, 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 not not for Jerome Bettis, though. Not for Jerome Bettis. Because, you know, Notre Dame graduates, you know, that means something. Wow. <laughs> Speaking of why, let's get to the third here, Brandon, before you slander higher education anymore. Oh Tory Smith decided to choose violence the other day on Twitter, mm-hmm. the former mm-hmm. NFL wide receiver and two-time Super Bowl champion. When he tweeted, mustard is a bottom-tier condiment, that obviously led me to get tweets from a bunch of people who uh, – expected me to do exactly what I did, which is go out and contextualize this in the right way. And so I decided to do a tiered ranking of condiments. I went on that tier maker website 
And uh, basically, for everyone that asks about the process, at Mike Golick Jr. is where you can find the damn list. I retweeted it from at Gojo Show as well. So the evidence is all out there. You can do with it what you will. I will just go and explain my process and say, I went to the website, I found one of the condiment ranked tiers that had already existed, and I took whatever ones they had grouped into that. I wasn't bringing in the own, my own condiments or my own choices okay. here. So brands and other things were left up to someone else because I am lazy and inept when it comes to this. It was outside of my skill set on here. So basically, what I ended up with, Brandon, I divided it into tiers based the way you would talk about like a football player. I had elite, all pro, pro bowl, starter, solid backup, liability, and stealing money. In the elite tier, I had ranch, Frank's Red Hot, Ready Whip Whipped Cream, Sweet Baby Ray's Barbecue Sauce, and Queso. The all-pro level was butter, peanut butter, Cool Whip, and ketchup. The Pro Bowl tier was syrup, chocolate sauce, Nutella, salsa, and Dijon mustard. The starter tier, which is what started all of this, Tabasco sauce, yellow mustard, mm-hmm. blue cheese dressing, um... That's Caesar there, buddy. Here? You got Caesar as a oh, that's Oh, sorry. That's that's Caesar dressing. I'm sorry. These are hard to read on this one. Um, I had this. People beef with me on this one. I had just mayonnaise on there. It has Miracle Whip. It, we know I have a relationship with Duke's Mayo, founded in love in a bowl game. All of that said, obviously, if it were Duke's, you would be higher. I understand that, and I love you guys. Um, I had brown gravy and then hummus in this tier. The backups, uh, sriracha, Thousand Island dressing, guacamole, blue cheese. Uh, I think this is sour cream dip in there as well. Or, um, spin- uh, sorry, spinach dip. And then cheese whiz. And then I had liability. I had strawberry jelly, sour cream, and Crazy. marshmallow fluff. And then in the stealing money category, I had, I think it was strawberry Hershey sauce, relish, and A1 steak sauce. Called syrup, strawberry syrup, relish, and strawberry A1 syrup. That I listen. I didn't have that. I didn't have a, a bunch of issues with this list. For one, respect it's a good list. and thank you for for doing this. Uh, tearing condiments. I am king condiments, so I, I will be the czar of this. Uh, butter is absolutely in the elite category. I don't. I don't. I think it'd be easy to switch out any of those ranch hot sauce ready whip. Sweet barbecue, uh, sweet baby rays, or queso uh, butter's definitely up there with that. I think. I, I will. I will say. I think peanut butter is closer to elite than butter because every one in the elite category, I would eat on its own if given the opportunity. Like I would okay. eat with a spoon. I would eat it straight. And I can't say I would do that with butter. I love butter. I've eaten straight butter. My sister used to eat butter packets as a kid when we would go out to restaurants on the end of a knife because she's a savage. Yeah. But peanut butter, I think, is more acceptable to do that with. So that was a large part of the thought process for the elite tier of condiments. Uh, Nutella being so high is criminal. I think I think that I would I would put Nutella in the liabilities stealing money. I would actually flip Nutella in strawberry jam. Strawberry jam is above a starter. Ass. It's, Ass. it's above a starter. Strawberry jam. It's not even the best type of jam. Grape jelly, gang gang. I think you I think you're only solid. Like no skips, uh, perfect album tier is solid backups with sriracha, uh, Italian dressing, uh, guacamole, blue cheese, 
uh, spinach dip and 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 cheese whiz. I think those are all. I think those all. Those all should be there. Relish. I can see a one steak sauce stealing money. Like, do you eat? I guess I don't. Listen, we should move on. No, but I I, no, I do no, like no. I do like the syrup is in in, in the Provo. Uh, Dijon mustard. I think needs to be replaced with honey mustard. Um, yeah, like I said, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of issues here, but I do like the elite all pro Pro Bowl starter solid backup liability stealing money tears when it comes to condiments. I will say this: no one has the right to tell me anything about a one steak sauce because unless you have also drank an entire bottle of it during a three hour radio show because you lost the grid of death bet on the Dan Lebetard show. You don't get to tell me anything about A1 Steak Sauce. I was born in the darkness and molded by it. You merely adopted A1 Steak Sauce and put it on your meat for a while when you were in high school. Oh I have lived this. God. I am of it in a way that very few people are. So that's number one. Number two, the one thing I will say above all else, and I know there are others that were not included that we could get to if we really wanted to do this comprehensively, my order of hot sauces was the absolute correct order in all this. Frank's Red Hot, by far better than Tabasco and Sriracha. Sriracha, I have tried to like it. It's just fine. Texturally, it's kind of weak. It's harder yeah. to spray out than it should be. Mm -hmm. Frank's does the job in a lot of ways. Tabasco's got a tried and true flavor. I stand by that one firmly as the absolute correct order, and that's the hill I would gladly die on on this list. I feel you, but also I think I like how you don't have ketchup as an elite, but I think in reality, you're talking about how we put A1 sauce like on our stakes in college or in high school because that's the truth about it ketchup's probably in a pro bowl tier like it, it's for it's almost it's almost for babies and french fries so uh nah catch catch ketchup ketchup was just on the outside looking into the top rung ketchup's great man People can try and dunk on ketchup all they want. Mm. Certain instances, I understand, but I'm never gonna say that ketchup is for babies or anything like that. Like everyone also, uses ketchup. I put ketchup on a your ton of fat stuff. Fat ass got awesome. Cool Whip and Ready Whip, like top elite and all pro, like back to back. That's wild. I like both, and I think they both have uh, space above the starter level. But come on, not both of them back to back. Like they're, they're two different oils. You got it. You got it. One's milk and the other one's yeah, hydrogenated they are, oil. They are. They are. They are both different, which means they can both have a place on this. It's not redundant. They're two different skill sets oh here. God. They occupy two very different spaces in the dessert hierarchy. So, if you got any beef, at Michael Oak Jr. at Gojo Show on Twitter, or you can check us out and give your revisions in something like an Apple Ooh. Podcast review. Download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. And like I told you, we'll eventually get to it. Like when we ranked top five TV characters yeah. the other day. Our friend DC Iowa gave us a five-star review and said in no particular order his top five TV characters would be Al Bundy, Topanga Ooh. from Boy Meets World, Woody from Cheers, Sean Spencer from Psych, and Adrian Monk from Monk. Wow, that's a really good list. Yeah, uh, and listen, I don't agree with that as the top five, but yeah. that's his top five, and I appreciate that. Certainly, Topanga was a part of life for a lot of us that were coming sleeper. of age at a certain point. Huge Boy Meets World, and that being a part of our uh, you know, oh, young adult. Shout out to Angela, so, too. Sean's girlfriend in college. She changed the game. Yes. It's, it's, all, it's all in there. So, again, leave us those ratings and reviews. We will get to all of those... 
Always appreciate anyone who makes it this far. Again, God help you. You have earned your keep around here and we desperately appreciate you. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.